This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello again. Happy Tuesday. We're back to another week of podcast. We had a crazy week last week. You've seen some of the photos. And, and I need to stress this. You've only seen the very tip of the very tip of the iceberg of what we shot last week. <laughs> There's so many other photos that I wanted to post, mm. but I'm holding off because uh-huh. there's so much content to come. It's so great. The film is called Price of Fun. Mm-hmm. And this is the film that we have referred to in past podcasts that we've been wanting to film because we've always wondered if you own that really hot expensive sports car, aren't you having actually less fun because of all the stress of owning it and the mm. maintenance and the tires and the insurance and the, or maybe not. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. as all good car journalists say, we wanted to find out. We're here to find out. Well, but, but here's what ultimately happened. And we, we chased deliberated about this big time. And we chased a lot more cars than the five that wound up in the shoot. We had a seven car shoot at one point. Stuff was breaking, <laughs> stuff was falling out. And look, the five car shoot ended up being the right grouping because what was great about all five cars is all five cars, spoiler alert, were cars we knew were good. We didn't yes. have any cars. Yes. There, there were cars in the group that originally, like the long list, we were like, I don't know how well that one's going to do. But on this on this five, it was just like, this is fascinating because we like all of these, so let's go see. But the other thing was fascinating is that we ended up with a span of 10 times. We had the GR86 in the $30,000 range mm-hmm. and the McLaren Artura at $300,000, yeah. which is exactly the point of the piece. I can't believe that because of how the film is structured, that I was turning down sports cars that I'd never thought I'd turn down. True. We had some that were offered that didn't fit. We had a 918 Spider offered to us, mm. and I had to say no to it because that would mean another Porsche would be in the film. Mm-hmm. And I've told you I would turn down a Hennessy Venom F5 because it's essentially an Elise <laughs> with a giant Lotus engine. Elise. Fair point. So yeah. I turned that down because we already have a Lotus product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to this say This was it. a really, really fun shoot. I cannot <laughs> wait to share it with you. We have two huge shoots in the can that are coming your way. Yeah. There is that price yeah. of fun, but also we have the road trip stuff we just did recently. Both of these pieces, the footage is that stuff that I just go, yeah, we got that shot right there, which is really exciting. Also, if you haven't seen the GT3 RS piece that is playing on our original channel, that was a incredible treat to drive that car. Thanks to our friends at RSR in Belgium and Germany. We got to drive it on the ring and spa. The video is at spa. Mm -hmm. The the entire video is shot there. And that is, uh, like I said, original channel. And then over on the test drive channel, our review, separate review of the BMW M2 is playing Mm -hmm. right now. And for those of you who have thought we weren't driving fast and hard on that road, we were. There's a lot of bouncing going on because that road we were on was not smooth. And so you added any speed to it and it was aggressive. I'm looking forward to this week. The the particular week that we are recording is Monterey Week 2023. Mm-hmm. And I am excited for all the news of all the crazy concepts. Yeah, yeah. And one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, sort of the onset of late summer, early fall. Mm-hmm. And all these great cars come out. And I'm just... Just really excited. So it's going to be interesting to see what what all comes from that. I mean, we obviously aren't going this year. I think that's pretty clear. But it is one of those things that then when the actual weekend starts, we're just like, oh, we missed that too. It, the, it, there mm-hmm. is some some FOMO that goes on every every year. But yeah. it is a crazy crazy event, and it is <laughs> yeah. getting. Here's what's what's really insane. I feel like every year it's twenty five percent more expensive than it was last year. 
Yeah. It's getting it's wildly expensive to go to yeah. any of the events there. But anyway, we've also had some reactions from you listening to us about best roads and a lot of talk about doing something coffee with table book, best roads, <laughs> like a coffee table book that we publish or a magazine or a calendar or something. But that's really why we've done all these road trips and really embrace the road trips. Totally. And that's the other thing about it is that they can spend time featuring the road more than just a review does. They're shot a little bit differently as a result. They're, they're, they're not shot just to see the car going by in pretty scenery. They're shot to just go, are you noticing the scenery? Are you seeing the road? Which is very exciting. And I have to tell you right now, we're trying to keep you well informed. The plan right now is that Labor Day weekend, that Sunday, will be the release of our next road trip film. We would love you to sit down and watch it in the first 24 or 48 hours. That'll be Labor Day weekend, so you hopefully will have a little bit of time and need some entertainment (laughs) in the evenings. I mean, go party during the day, but watch that film at night. That is our South Dakota trip. Saw a bunch of things that, frankly, we had no reason to ever see in our life, and then we were like... Oh my gosh, it's that right there. Well, no reason to ever believe that there were great driving roads east of Devil's Tower in Wyoming. That's true. There are? I had no idea. Yes. That's what these road trip films really are for, is discovering these roads that we didn't know existed, didn't know how good they'd be. We find somewhat a squiggle on the map, and then we're on it going, that's incredible. So that's coming soon. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's car wash season. Always wash your car in a cool, shady spot and use Griot's Garage Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer with Snow Foam. Griot's has also just introduced the Cordless Foaming Sprayer as well. You can create a high foam blizzard with little to no work and avoid wash-induced scratches. These are the safest ways to wash your ride. If you need to get the bugs off the front of your car, try the bug and smudge remover right before you wash. There's also tar and sap remover if you parked under a tree. Griot's offers wash and detail kits which make it easy to get the right products all together. Whether you need a starter car care kit, or you're breaking out the foam cannon, or you're detailing your interior, Griot's has the right kit for you. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquids are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Topic Tuesday comes to us from Tom Z in Maryland. Tom is one of our patron board members, and he's got a bit of a two-parter here for his yep. email. Yep. I like how you mentioned something Todd said, Tom, on the podcast that is resonating with Tom. When you, Todd, said, this is me, when you were talking about your lease and you really love well, I finally it. discovered that car. This is yeah. me. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. resonating with Tom because he's got a Fiat. And people ask him, what is it? Mm. And when he goes to autocross, he said it was a double header that he was at and lots of Miatas and Supras and BRZs come and go. He's only <laughs> seen one of the Fiat in his three years of autocross. So that means he's a Fiat guy, the Fiat guy. They know him as, oh, there's the Fiat guy. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh-huh. And he's, he's realizing this is me. That's who he mm. is. Mm. He's done some tasteful mods, but he says it's a joy to drive and push hard. But thoughts of replacing it with a track car like the Boss 302, that disappears when he drives it. Mm. And he said it's he's owned it for three years, which is the longest time he's he's ever owned a car. And he doesn't think it's leaving anytime soon. And 
this is me, he says. That's fascinating. I, I mean, look, and I want to clarify for those of you that aren't following along, a Fiata is the Fiat 124 Spider, which was essentially a Miata in a Fiat redesign. And it has... Fiat badge. Seriously. And it ha- the, the interior is exactly the fourth gen Miata interior mm-hmm. with a Fiat badge in the steering wheel. There's no changes there. <laughs> there is actually a turbo yeah. engine under the hood, and he's actually done some mods to it to make it even, even better. But that's what a Fiat is. And uh, he was asking what the moment was that made me really connect with the Elise. And there were a few. But the first time I ever really drove one was when we shot our TV pilot. I'm going to take you way back now. Jeesh. 2006. Jeesh. We shot our TV pilot. That's when okay. those things were being sold new. They were being sold new. <laughs> I, I guess actually oh technically gosh. it was 2007. Because it, oh, it was a 2006 car we drove in 2007 when we shot the pilot. But still, they were being sold yes. new. You could go to your Lotus dealer and buy a brand new Elise. And there was the an exotic car rental place in LA. And we spent the money for the pilot to rent a bunch of cars. And one of them that they actually had was a Lotus Elise. And was like, I've never actually driven. We're renting that car. So we had it for two or three days. And I got down the block on that first rental and was like, where has this car been? This is amazing. Well, you also had the the car model, a scale model yeah, in the lease. You already kind of knew yeah. that that was your jam. It was intriguing as heck to me, yeah. and so I loved driving it. So we had that red one, and that review is uh, that's a total old school review back on our YouTube channel. I drove that red one then and loved it, and that became a pretty solid piece, pretty short piece, but a pretty solid piece. And then when we shot mid engines and mountains a few mm-hmm. years later, mm-hmm. we chased the Elise again. Yeah. And we had it up yeah. for all of that stuff. And I just right. was driving it. And, and But here's the thing. That was then 2014. So between 2007 and 2014, I drove the Elise a couple other times. And one of them was actually when they released in, in 2008, 2009, they released the Supercharge from the factory version. I was at a Motor Press Guild track day and they had one. Mm, that's and right. I remember, that's right. and this never became a piece, but I remember saying it to camera. I remember driving out of the parking lot to get on the track in the supercharged lease and turning to camera and going, why do we buy anything else? <laughs> okay. So the fact that I yeah, finally got one yeah. then in 2017 and have loved it as much as I have, I mean, but it was multiple of those moments, but without question, when I've gotten in the car, I get a couple hundred yards. I'm just like, this is so cool. <laughs> and, and, and recently actually both you and chance drove my Elise extensively mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you both got out. And I also want you guys to understand that Chance has one of the louder street cars I've ever encountered, okay? So Chance cannot brag no- noise, vibration, and harshness at all. Uh, right, But, right. I mean, you hear him coming from miles away. But both Chance and Paul get out of my Elise and they both say kind of the same thing, which is, that's really cool for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not a car for everyone. Totally not. And I like Absolutely. it at times. I like it in various doses depending mm-hmm. on the road. I don't like it all the time on I get all it. roads. I get it. Straight it's lines hard. and highways. And, and the fact that you have done that is amazing to me. Uh, even on highways, I just it's cool. It's just... I, <laughs> I, I will get it that over there. I'll get it by C8 Corvette. That back. Turn on the cooled seats. Sure. Well, it's not just about being isolated. I know. It's, it's I totally. about, I'll, I'll take my Cayman. I'll yeah, take for other sure. Caymans. I'll yeah. take a yeah, I get it. hardcore GT3 over that. Mm, yeah, I see times, it. But. Well, this relates to Tom's Topic Tuesday question, and he is prepared for backlash. <laughs> but his question is, is steering feel overrated? 
fighting words. Symmetry is overrated, especially when it comes to 60s Italian cars. I, I can tell you <laughs> symmetry. That is. fender is not the same height as the other fender, but that's okay. It's beautiful. Just the shut lines alone. Let's, now uh, selling at Monterey for exactly. $50 million totally. and the fenders don't match. Yep. <laughs> Just get used to asymmetry. Well, Tom understands when you want a good steering ratio and variable ratios can be confusing, but easy when you get used to it. Yes, certainly when you start to feel it. Not everybody can equate the understanding of what a car is doing and the feel of the steering wheel to numbers. That's why we try to forget numbers as much as possible, even though mm-hmm. we do state numbers and we do say this this is a variable ratio of this to this, and then continue on to describe here's what it's like. The Julia is a great example of doing so. Mm-hmm. The numbers are low in comparison to a single turn of the steering wheel in comparison to other cars. Well, Tom says... In, in a performance driving, in performance driving, he finds the way the tires and suspension respond way more important than any mechanical link between him and the wheels. Mm-hmm. He grew up on racing simulators, so maybe it's just his generation. He's 33, but he doesn't mind if a car has electronic or electronic assisted steering as long as the chassis and tires are talking to him. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. All right. Steering feel is something that I feel like most people have not identified or can relate to, Tom. That's a, that's a good start. Even yeah. though it's something yeah. Todd and I discuss, I feel like almost endlessly, because that is the separating factor between joy of a car or not joy. Mm. It, I've said this before, and I, I like your Elise so much, but I want that on track. I don't sure. want to be going in a sure. straight line in that car. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, actually. Mm-hmm. It's... I, I like it when the road turns to something where the car can really take advantage of it. But then there's so many cars that <laughs> try to strike a balance between the two. That is most sports cars these yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because people don't want the most raw, stripped away driving experience and aren't willing to have that feel still on the kinds of roads that most people do, which is highways mm-hmm. and even you know canyons are few and far between. Mm-hmm. So race cars, absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. I absolutely want that. But then it depends on what the car's market is, mm, where, mm. you know, what you're going to be using it for. But absolutely, I, I really like a balance between precision and steering feel. And when you start to find one or the other in a different direction, BMWs go farther towards precision and away from steering feel. Yeah, true. Whereas Porsches are starting to strike a better balance for me yeah, in my yeah, mind. I agree with that. But steering feel is something that it's uh, it's tough to describe unless you're sitting there and you go over a bump and you ask the person, did you feel that? Did you feel the way the car, the entire car mm-hmm. behaved? And now what did you feel through your hands? What mm-hmm. what did the car want to do, want to do? And then what did you want to do as a driver in reaction to it? The more mm, extreme both of those things are on on any kind sure. of road, uh-huh. the more steering feel that has. If you're isolated, you saw the bump go by and you didn't really feel too much, the car doesn't have a lot of steering feel. Mm. It's a Lexus. <laughs> wow, there's a shot. Okay, <laughs> I got it. Something, I you know yeah, what I mean? I understand, yeah. But that car is designed to isolate you from the road. Mm-hmm. But then when you see something coming and you know what to do to react in advance for the turn or the mm-hmm. bump in the road, the undulation, the, the shifting camber, and you've adjusted your throttle and you turn in and you feel it in a dramatic way, you might be driving an Elise. You might be driving some <laughs> hot sports car. You might be driving an Elise. Surprise. But I, I prefer, 
this price of fun piece has really magnified for me what I mm, want. And I've talked okay. about power in the past, Tom. I've talked about wanting more power, and I do still feel like there needs to be enough to extract what you can out of a, a great chassis. That's why I love the GR86 so much, because mm -hmm. it's suddenly, finally, we're here. We're, mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're able to feel understand like you've got enough, yeah. you know, what the car can do. But I... You know, we're, we're talking about power because as the price has gone up, power goes up too. And you think about all those hot sports yeah, cars yeah. out there. Think about EVs, a thousand horsepower or more. What do you do with that kind of power? Mm. You're not going to be cooking into a corner any faster than me and some other car in a Honda S2000. And I want the control. I want the feel. I want the joy of that corner. Mm. I want to experience that asphalt. I want to experience that corner that and understand, oh, I see it coming. It's a mm -hmm. decreasing radius. Mm -hmm. I suddenly need to adjust. Ha ha. And I've reacted to it. You know, that's, that's really so enjoyable to me. So I I understand from a video game standpoint, you're you're talking about the suspension and the tires talking to you, but you are experiencing some steering feel. Paul has said to me before, and he's right. He said to me before, when I when I'll go off on a steering feel rant, he's like, Todd, no other car can be the Elise. And he's hundred percent right. And no other car will be the Elise because that is a a car from another era that was built as a modern car. Let me go to modern cars real quick and then I'm gonna circle back here, Tom, and that is this. You are one hundred percent correct, Tom, that you can be in a lot of modern cars, the M two is a great example, that are mute in steering and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Now, I mm -hmm. like steering feel, but you can be in a car where the information through the wheel is slim to none. It is just the it, back to video game point you made. It is just the device by which you point the nose. Mm -hmm. But there's tons of car information. Mm -hmm. The way that it mm -hmm. settles on the suspension, you can tell through the seat, you can tell levels of grip. You you can sense what the car is doing but almost none of it came through the wheel. Mm -hmm. Modern cars are good about transferring information other ways because they're so much more solid than old cars used to be. Generally, if people aren't concerned about steering feel, I feel like in a lot of cases that means they haven't driven something with a lot of steering feel because modern cars don't have that, the Elise being the exception. Modern cars in general just kind of globally don't have much steering feel, not True. compared to old stuff, old unassisted stuff. I'll give you the best example I can think of because everybody talks about it. Old 911s. Okay. Old 911s with, with, a, with a big, thin, wooden wheel when they were still air-cooled uh -huh, with a uh -huh. super light front end, you got everything. And people fell in love with that. It's why those old 911s sell for ridiculous amounts of money. And when you go, when there's a change in the kind of asphalt you could be blindfolded and you know, please don't do that. But you could be blindfolded and you would <laughs> this know. This is not bird box. Okay, do, do not. exactly. So <laughs> so not. there's so much feel coming through the wheel. And as a little kid, I didn't understand that the big but really thin wooden wheels. Mm -hmm. I was like, that just seems, I don't like that. And then I started to drive, as we got into this, I started to drive cars with that and realized there's, there's actually tactile information in your fingertips that's coming from the rubber going over different kinds of asphalt. And that is, it's electrifying. It's fascinating. Quick note about 911s. Just because a car has steering feel doesn't mean it's precise. Because those old, old well, 911s and Beetles... That's the point I'm going rather to. Rather imprecise. That and also the Jag E-Type is another one. And what's interesting is the thing that's giving you the information is the opposite of now. 
The Jaguar mm. E-Type has a ton of steering feel with a wooden wheel as well, but neither one of those cars are giving you a lot of precise information about what's going on anywhere but the wheel. <laughs> right. It's really hard to tell what's going on I can feel elsewhere. where I'm not supposed to be going. Uh, yeah, what's going on elsewhere in the car, and I feel like we've swapped the two. Right. Now in modern right. cars, steering's telling you almost nothing, but the rest of the car is so solid and so precise that it's mm-hmm. telling you lots of info. The old classic stuff told you everything through the wheel, but the rest of the car was just kind of loose and kind of muted and uninformed because the car wasn't as solid as modern cars. Right. The Elise is the weird middle ground because the chassis is very tight. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it gives you a lot of information outside of the wheel, and then the wheel gives you information on top of it that is like these old-school unassisted steering racks. I am circling back around to say, Tom, I really like steering feel. I really like, obviously, I like holding onto the steering wheel and feeling the texture change. Mm-hmm. I like feeling, oh, I can tell that that wheel has just risen a little bit and the, and the camber's different. Oh, I yeah. can tell all of that. I I'm love that. Totally agreeing with you. Absolutely. But that is, that is a dying reality and it doesn't do anything to hold back the enjoyment of modern cars. That's where, where I want to actually say something that may be controversial that aligns with you, Tom. I love steering feel and I am a person that will probably continue to like it more than most because of my Elise experience. But the fact that we've lost it doesn't make cars less fun. It's something I like having, but there's so much information in modern cars elsewhere that I don't need it for a car to be enjoyable. I like it personally, but you, Tom, it's not holding you back. And I think you are representing probably the majority of people who like all the sensations a car is giving and are like, why do I need it from the wheel? I just enjoy it. And I've driven the old school stuff that really gives it. And I think it's fascinating. Although if it's a car that you expect to have some and it doesn't, that can be disappointing. That is disappointing. I agree with you. You get into something and you and you expect it to communicate and it's mute. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. I mean, you, you know, now we're suddenly talking about, oh, a lot of extra weight or it's real heavy in the nose and the weight mm-hmm. balance mm-hmm. is not quite there. Or you know what? Just the engineering and paying attention that people are going to drive this harder than the manufacturer intended. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not a GT car. This is actually more of a sports car. This should be better. Mm-hmm. That's when we can identify and say, you know what? <laughs> If you're looking for a fun, hardcore sports car, that's not it. You should consider blank instead. Yeah. Or the ones that are when we're not expecting it, like a GR Corolla, I'm mm. not expecting that kind of feel. Interesting. And yet, okay. it gives you yeah. some. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, well, that's a fun extra little ad in mm, there. That's good. That's How good. exciting. You know, mm-hmm. that then we discover it and go, wow, there's more engineering here than, than we thought. There's, there's a different kind of geometry going on, and it's lending itself to a better driving experience. But that's why people are buying those cars, and you know, if it's unexpected, yeah, bonus. There's another thing that I feel like this. This is going to sound really maybe difficult to comprehend, but it's something that I have definitely felt, and and that is a lot of electric steering racks. They have weight, and weight used to be connected to the way the tires are moving, how mm-hmm. heavy the steering is, and in high, this is one thing that hydraulic racks continue to do better than electric racks is that the weight of a hydraulic assisted steering rack feels like, this is going to sound strange, feels like the pressure is is somewhere between you and the wheels. Mm-hmm. It's, it's down past the firewall because there's, there's stuff moving and you're having to use the lever that is the steering wheel right. to move that stuff. Right. A lot of the electronic steering racks, I feel like the weight is being generated at the wheel. It almost feels like uh, when you're driving a video game. It's that fake programmed right there at the wheel turn point, that's where the, the, the weight is. And that kind of weight bothers me because that does feel artificial. I want to feel like it's happening somewhere in the system, not programmed to fake itself at the wheel. 
<laughs> you're being deceived. Yes. This is deception. Well, because I, but I'll, I'll, go, I'll go one further because I feel like a lot of times this is what happens when you change the sport and track and this kind of button. It just changes how, how easily the steering wheel spins at the hub. That's not more information. I don't need that. Why not just leave it in comfort mode? You've just yeah. programmed a more difficult steering feel because ones and zeros said so. You haven't told me anything. Yeah, that for me, that's along the lines of cruise control or the the lane keep assist, making the car stay in the center of the lane because mm. well, the car should just be in the center of the lane because it should be. <laughs> There's a line over there, line over there. We're well, going to be dead center. No, <laughs> there is a quarter coming up. <laughs> On to the debate from Brian D in Iowa, who was wondering if he should return to the land of IKEA or buy something else. I thought he was actually just buying furniture and transporting it until I read on, and that's not where we're going. Switching to the Flat Pack Furniture mm-hmm. podcast here. Yes, we are. Yes, the fur- Furniture Design Podcast, Whiskey Comes Later. Yeah, yes. I love it. Well, Brian is going to call himself Car Guy Adjacent. Okay. Trademark. He loves cars and digs consuming car content, but he only has space for one car and tends to be addictive, so if he starts buying and selling on the regular, it'll take over his life, and he has decided he would like to retire someday. <laughs> We'd all it. like to. I don't know how it's going to happen, but <laughs> anyway. What happened with our car disease? Well, he has been fascinated with Volvo wagons since his favorite aunt had one when he was a kid. And now mm. he's on his third. Oh, wow. A 2008 XC70 followed by an 08 V70, which his wife totaled, hitting a stop sign. Oof. Sorry to hear that. And an 83 245 GL. Okay. Can we make Volvo boxy jokes? <laughs> Probably, yes. Brian keeps his cars a long time, so end-life maintenance costs always have him swearing this is his last Volvo, but somehow he always ends up returning to those crafty Swedish, (laughs) insert derogatory slang word for vicious, despicable, and unliked. Got it. Okay, excellent. The XC has 173,000 miles on the odometer, and while he could probably put 4K in it and run it for another three to five years, he wants more tech, so he's looking to trade. Interesting. Okay. He's had other cars from other brands, and he's liked them. He's enjoyed them, so he's very open to a less Ace of Base friendly ride. <laughs> that that took me a second. I had to read that twice and be like, why did he? Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. From Sweden. Got it. Okay, yes. He, it doesn't have to be a wagon, but if not, then he'd look at an SUV. Okay. And we will do our best so you to need, keep you out of So you them. need the hatch space is what you're talking about, which yeah. is interesting because some of you are screaming exactly what he talks about next, and that is, what about an Outback? He said he's suspicious of the Outback because he said two close friends that have had, in your description, epic nightmares with their Subarus that they purchased new. Yeah. He also is not that big a fan of the Golf because he doesn't think it's big enough for him. But what we're, so what we're dealing with here is that Brian really needs a hatch and space. They call these wagons, Brian. Yes, they do. I'm glad. I'm thrilled. That's awesome. Singular, easy term. Mm -hmm. Well, Brian doesn't want something massive. He doesn't want something too small. He'd like something that's got power so he can indulge his occasional desire to go fast, something that handles reasonably well and is fun to drive as possible for a wagon or SUV. But as he ages, he very much enjoys a nice interior and a smooth ride. Mm, Okay. He occasionally drives a Honda Element for work. And while he likes it well enough, if you run over a penny, he writes, <laughs> it shakes the whole car and he couldn't handle that in his daily. All right. All right. Okay. I didn't realize, I guess I haven't spent much time in an element. Didn't know that they were doing no transferring idea. that much, but that's good to know. That's yeah. Great. As mentioned earlier, he wants something relatively current with the technology. It will need to last a while. So long-term maintenance costs are at least a small part of the equation. He lives in Iowa, he writes, so while he'll put all weathers on it, he hears it's all about tires. I don't know where you've heard that, Brian. You it's are weird. right. Mm-hmm. He would still very much prefer all-wheel drive, despite all that. He'd like to stay around thirty grand, but his absolute hard stop, not a penny more number, is $40,000. 
He's okay with something a few years old if it has what he's looking for and doesn't have a ton of miles on the clock okay. because he drives around twenty to 25,000 miles in a year. Okay. Rather than reflexively returning to the land of Ikea, what would we have him consider? <laughs> I do like this. We're, we're wagon shopping, and you definitely need the hatch. I think that's good, too. I have all kinds of choices here for you. My first thought was Mazda 3 Turbo Hatchback. That's the short answer. Oh, interesting. Okay, sure. Get a brand new one. Get, Get a, brand a brand new one. one. Yep. You're not spending okay. 40. You're above yep. 30. You're right in the sweet spot there. Mm-hmm. I thought of Hyundais with their Kona N or the Veloster N. They're not all-wheel drive. Acura Integras are cool and they're great to drive, but they're not all-wheel drive. How about a Mini Countryman? You suggested a Countryman a while mm-hmm. back. Yep. Uh, well, actually, yep. fairly recently, and yep. I just that had gone through my mind. Also floating through my brain is a Porsche Macan for you. Mm. Kind of interesting, but you admitted you really like wagons. So, Brian, I have your car. Oh, good. Good news. Okay. You can go shopping on autotempest.com slash everyday so they know we sent you. It is the sixth generation BMW 3 Series wagon. Built from 2016 oh, okay. to 2019, it's also known as the F31 generation. Like with it. With the two-liter inline four gas or diesel, these are all all-wheel drive. Mm. So I shopped. Okay. Like a found a 2017 330i X-Drive wagon with 38,000 miles for 25 grand, Brian. Mm. They're all doesn't matter the pro, the uh, the year or the mileage. They're all 25 to 30 thousand dollars. I found a really cherry one for. 30 grand, but it had mm. 63,000 miles on it. And then I've seen much lower miles for 28 grand. And then I found this 2017. They are kind of forgotten, I feel like. Mm. And BMW is an expert at building wagons. That was their jam for the good. longest time. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. still do. They just call them by weird names and have weird styling now these days. But um, <laughs> I love that sixth generation three series wagon. It's efficient. Mm, Okay, if you're mm. going in for long-term, then you will be willing to sink money into it to keep it going long-term. And a German car like that, it will go long-term. You have to deal with the maintenance just like you would something Swedish or something like you suggested, Mm -hmm. a Porsche or something else. But I love that you could go high miles with this thing. Yes, you're going to have to keep it running great, but then it will treat you well. And I think you will love driving it. And guess what? You don't have to buy an SUV. So forget the Macan. Hmm. Wagon. 330 X-Drive wagon. Like 2017. Go that's on. that's really good. Brian, I have some totally different choices than Paul, but I really do like where you went there. That's very good. Uh, I'm going to say go drive two things that I don't I don't know that they're right for you, but I want you to drive them both. You need to drive the Porsche Cayenne, and then you need to drive the Porsche Panamera, hopefully back-to-back. Ooh. I, I don't think at 40 grand you're going to find the Panamera you want. I think you could find a Cayenne you would like, but I'd like you to drive them both because I prefer you in a wagon over an SUV as well. But I think driving them and comparing them kind of internally would be very interesting. Something I looked for and found a lot of is the Mercedes E-Class wagon. You went BMW. I went Mercedes. The E-Class <sighs> wagon. Now, not see, the AMG. AMG. I'm going to want you to step I on know, up to AMG. I know, because the, the E63 AMG wagon is going to cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of hundred grand, which is not the money you're going to spend. Uh, even even a tw- I've got a 2014 in front of me of the E63, and it's still 60. And that's a tw- that's a ten year old car. Is that an AMG? Did that is say? an AMG. It is but an AMG. but okay. here's here's the key thing I want to say to you. If you don't get the AMG, 
this is going to have a fantastic interior going to <laughs> you're love. You're going to be a crying unit. That's no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> you can find these 2016 to 2019 or so in your budget. Mm. The Mercedes E-Class wagon. Now, it's going to have German maintenance when it needs something. But you didn't buy the fire-breathing AMG. I've got one mm. right in here in front of me that is a 2019 E-Class E450. That is great. But there's ones that are a little bit further back. There's 2014s, 2016s, all within your budget. I think there's a real opportunity here that you could get a Mercedes E-Class wagon and love that thing. And, and look, most of them are formatic. Here's one. 2017 E-Class E400 formatic sport. 28 grand. Yes. A little higher mileage, yes. but 28 grand on that. There's others here. I mean, I've got another one, 42 in front of me, 58,000 miles, only 42 grand. That one's in Texas. This is all off of uh, Auto Tempest. So I think you really should look at the E Class wagon because you might surprise yourself. I have a wild card, and then I have the car I think might be your car. Oh, really? The wild card is the Cadillac CTS wagon. Because do you like that interior? Is I'm not even saying the V. Okay. But do you okay, like that interior? Because okay. you can get them in all-wheel drive. You never see these. So they are very cool. They're fairly affordable. That is definitely my wild card. But I think the answer, Brian, is the Kia Stinger GT. All-wheel Whoa, drive. That's good. Hidden wagon. Surprisingly good backseat space. Surprisingly good hatch space. It is essentially a stretched version of the Hyundai Genesis G70 chassis that we like driving so much. But this is the all-wheel drive Kia Stinger. And to a person, everyone we know that has never driven a Stinger goes and drives a Stinger. At our recommendation goes, these are really good. <laughs> like, these drive really well. We know. We sing uh -huh. them the I knew. I knew yes. that already. So. Yeah, not, we are not surprised. Uh, so Kia Stinger GT, I think you can find one for your budget of forty grand on the high side and be thrilled. Gosh, Brian, when we went to Germany, in the airport parking structure, there were G70 wagons. They were gorgeous. I took photos. They of were the, gorgeous. And people are looking at me like, why are you taking a picture of a car that it's everyone a rental owns? car wagon. What are like, you talking no, about? Who cares? Nobody has them in the U.S. They mm -hmm. don't bring them there. It would, that would be perfect. <laughs> Kia Stinger, buddy. Kia Stinger. That's good. Angel R. in Dallas wrote to us uh, with a Track Daily Crush and a bit of a Topic Tuesday. Lots and lots of questions. We may as well cover them real quick. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like we kind of cop covered his Topic Tuesday. It was a little bit built into what we just talked about. That is, what does it take to daily drive a raw car like an Elise or a Viper or an Alpha 4C or even a Miata? Well, Tolerance. <laughs> tolerance. <laughs> well, definitely this high tolerance you, you and willingness. To, here's the thing. Yeah. You have to like it enough that the sacrifices that it requires you're willing to overlook. If I commuted yes. every day on the 405, I would not have a Lotus Elise. It's going to depend on your usage and it's going to depend on where you live. Or maybe you would, okay. but you'd, it'd get driven far I, less than yes, it does Yes, I now. might commute one day a week in uh, it or something like uh, that because it's just, uh, look at how I'm using my Elise. We're using it as one of our road trip cars right now. Now, it's not designed to be a road trip car, long straight U.S. freeways and no cruise control. It's not designed for that, but I'm willing to do that versus sit in traffic in it. Yeah. So yeah. are you willing to go with the sacrifices it requires? You know, the Dodge Viper, I have heard from many, many owners that it's not a question of if, it's just when you will get that exhaust tattooed to the back of your calf because ah. you stepped out and forgot about the super hot exhaust that exits right underneath the door frame. And that's exciting. That's a normal reality. The Miata is small. I can't fit. There's one. I can't actually do it. I can't handle it because I don't fit well enough. Plenty of people do. So what is the thing that it requires of you and are you willing to overlook it? 
Todd is absolutely right. Angel, I'm just wondering, are you asking for a friend? Are you thinking about getting a raw car? Because any one of those in Dallas, yeah, it's going to take a lot of severe re-looking at your decision-making paradigm well, he's as got, to what you take on a daily basis. I drive the Alpha. That would be the best. It's for, automatic. Uh, uh, the air conditioning's the best. It's not going to randomly burn the back of your leg. <laughs> I can fit in it better than the Miata. This is just me talking. That's true. But I'm that's just thinking, again, your, your usage matters a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's the balance that manufacturers want to try to strike all the time. Are they actually leaning towards steering feel and actually... I mean, this does kind of explain why there's so many variants of the 911 and the Cayman mm. to a lesser mm. extent, the Cayman, Fair. but this does kind of speak to that because we've been in Cayman or in 911s and gone, this just doesn't seem like a 911. It just seems like a softy touring car. And mm. why? Mm. Well, for many people that really fits the bill. That really yeah. is a nice balance between, you know, I, I want to just commute and do the GT car thing. And then the ones that are harder core, I would say the. Uh, what is it? The 2018, the GT2 RS, the 991 GT2 RS that we drove. Mm -hmm. Spectacular car. Yes. Well, all the, the connections for the steering, they're all metal on metal. There's, yeah. There's no bushings to like soften the blow. And I loved it. On a back road. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I actually enjoyed it just driving to and sure. from. I, yeah, yeah. I thought that was special and interesting, but that's not for everybody. And that's also 700 horsepower and you know, kind of a special car, but it's not for LA freeways either. I yeah. could not get over how direct and involved yeah, that steering right, right, was from yeah. a 911. And then other variants of the 911 from that generation were sort of like, yeah, not as, not as direct. Well, and we've all heard stories about somebody that takes their street car and gets the bright idea. They're going to make all the bushings the super hardest they can. And mm -hmm. in almost every case, they made the car worse. <laughs> I'm going to get solid motor mounts. Seriously. Ouch. I have, I have, yeah. I have uh, different motor mounts on my Elise. And as a result, when you sit stopped at a stoplight, the entire car just vibrates. <laughs> yes, you just it can't, does. you can't get away from it. But then of course it actually improves the shifting feel when you're moving. But when you're stopped, yes. it's just like, this thing's going to rattle itself apart. I mean, beware the solid uh, steering rack mounts. Yep. Those will stiffen things and, and give you a crisp information for sure. But do you want to <laughs> live with that? So what are you do using the yeah. car for? Along these lines, he asks about the C8, the Corvette and says with Magnaride, how does it compare to the 911 or Cayman for ride quality? And he said, how about the Super versus the new M2? We have a Super and M2 and uh, Camaro piece on our original channel. Please go watch that. The M2 in its hardest mode was quite stiff. I would say actually in its hardest mode was stiffer than the Supra, but the Supra is kind of a little stiffer generally. The Magna Ride is magic. Yes, it is. It's very floaty. The back end gets a little squirrely actually, Angel. It, it kind of gets a little floaty and wants to step out and kind of crashes over some bumps, some severe stuff. But on the other hand, every everything else is just sort of like, ah. Well, but it crashes in the same way that a big floaty sedan does. Yes, yes. Where it's still super soft and cushy. It's just like, yeah. shouldn't that be more buttoned down, but not in touring mode? Well, yeah. And, and then in track mode, you're just, you go over the same bump and you're sort of like, I hope I didn't damage the car. Yeah. Ow. The, the range that, that Chevrolet accomplishes in all of their Magna Ride equipped cars. I mean, we recently had a Suburban and a Tahoe with Magna Ride. We're like, yes, uh-huh, and? Yeah, the 911 came and feel more like, uh, kind of have that uh, coilover kind of feeling in comparison to the C8, which is a vast difference. Definitely a little bit softer, but I, I think more controlled in, in both of those cars. And then the M2 is really spectacular with its uh, adaptive suspension. I mean, also quite stiff. Mind blowing. Yes. But yeah, you, you dial that up, you're, you're gonna hit your head on the ceiling. <laughs> and we almost did in our test drive. 
He's also got a track daily crush here. All the GR cars. Mm. GR Corolla, GR86, and GR Supra. Track daily crush. Mm. I like all of these. They're all good. They're all good. And I think it it also might play into what is your personal usage. So I will answer only for me. Only for my personal usage. Okay? And that is we live in a place that gets snow. Yeah. So I'm going to daily the Corolla. Because the Corolla is very fun. Plus it's a hatch. And I'm not going to feel special about it. It's got great access. The Supra is wonderful. But the Supra has difficult access and not a lot of storage space. That would be my other choice as a possible daily. So the Supra gets crushed because I'm going to daily the Corolla, and I really, really love the idea of tracking the GR86. One of you is saying, but the engines blow up. Stop it. They, they, they have, some of them have, but it's not bound to happen. The 86 is so fantastically controllable and so much fun to ring out everything it gives that I want the 86 on track, and I will daily that Corolla, which means, sadly, the, the manual super, which I really, really like, is getting crushed. Wow, I'm going to flop that. I okay. will still GR Corolla the the daily for all okay. the seasons, like yeah, all yeah. the fun. Sure. Mm-hmm. It just it's so squirrely and weird and great. But I do want some power on track, and I do love that Cayman wheelbase. So the the yep. Supra speaks to me for for track. I, I really really like it on track. So I am letting the GR86 go as much as I've said how much mm-hmm. I like it, and mm-hmm. and it is really great. But uh, that's good. I mean, they, we're we're cutting it real close, Angel. Thank you for the questions. On Facebook, Ted Adam Green is asking about Miatas. He said, have we reviewed or compared the RF ND to the Softop ND? He said he's wondering if the RF with the roof retracted drives the same as a convertible experience or does the Softop feel more like uh, an actual Softop and the the other one feels like a Targa? Honestly, they feel really, really close. I I wouldn't buy one over the other because of different feel. You said you're looking for a Roadster personally, but you think people in your family would prefer the illusion of extra protection that the RF provides. I am a huge fan of the RF. My wife it's and I were driving excellent. this weekend, and we drove by a gray one. Gray, keep this in mind, at the light with the, with the top retracted. Mm. And as it went by, my wife went, is that a Miata? Yes, and I it said, is. yes, it's amazing. It should come in every color of the rainbow. That should be a Skittles car. Get on it, please, Mazda, because it should come in every color possible. The RF is great. I will say the only real downside to the, to the RF, Ted, is the fact that there is genuine buffeting with the top up or with it down in the RF because of that cross pillar. So you just have to kind of deal with that. But it's such a nice car to drive and be in and be seen in and park and walk it away. Is. It's so gorgeous. It is. I agree. Better, you know, something different than gray, but, you know. You don't do it gray. So but, I, but I am saying, well, that's the only color they sell it in. But I am I saying it stands out even in gray. Yeah, it does. It's pretty excellent. Our friend Dammit Patton says, is there a term for looking forward to an upgrade that you're going to make for your car? He just purchased a PowerStop brake upgrade kit for his GR86. You're going to love that. You it's are. brilliant. He can't wait to get them installed. I am inventing three words. Good. Uh, pre-occarpation. Interesting. Okay. Pre-carception. And car-templation. I like car-templation a lot. We are currently contemplating many Car things on this show. I really like your, that. Yep. Your, new, your, your new install. I love it. And then a couple of questions here on some hot cars. Our friend Jordan Schieffer, who is Ghost Miata on Instagram, asks for my reaction to this sentence. I just bought a Ferrari SF90 for only $50,000 markup plus MSRP. <laughs> Easy, <laughs> easy. That's, uh-huh. uh, there's some commentary about that in our upcoming Price of Fun film. I can't wait to... To, uh, to share that, so I will not spoil anything, let's just say. But uh, yeah, we had uh, 
fun chasing an SF90. So that was very interesting. We did. We were not successful, but there was a lot of effort put forth. Sriram on Instagram says he has a, here's another good word, a carnundrum. Carnundrum. I like that. Carnundrum <laughs> is very good. He said, keeping in mind vehicle warranty and peace of mind it brings, should he consider getting the Alpha Julia Veloce for 45K, brand new with a warranty, or trust in the Stellantarians and get a used Quadrifolio to experience the full alpha flavor, asking for a friend. No, you're not. You're asking for you. <laughs> trust mm. the Stellantarians, huh? Here, here, You've been here's, listening. Here's the thing. I, how long do you plan to have this car? Are you buying this car for the next 10 years? Are you buying this car to have it for two or three? If you're buying it to have it for two or three, don't get the new one. Get the full fat Quadrifolio and just enjoy it. Because, and don't put a time limit on the car. Have it, have it for six months and decide it was great, but I need to get rid of it. Have it for a year, have it for two years. If you're buying like the next family car for a decade, buy new with the warranty and stay there. But the Quadrifolio is awesome. There's another question about uh, some hot cars here from Simon B asking if I've been monitoring the price of Maserati MC20s because apparently they're cratering. I have seen price. them now. I looked today on Autotempest after reading this question. They're cratering? Well, no, not as bad as you think. Cratering. Not as bad as you think. That implies like no, no, they're see, on hang, sale hang on. and ready to be purchased the, now. There's two things about this that are very interesting. Let me. And I, I dug in to Auto Tempest today. Oh, you did? For, for MC20s? For MC20s. Here's right. what's fascinating. A brand new one with all the options sitting on a dealer lot right now is over 300 grand. Okay? That's not cratering. That's not cratering. But a used one? You can get them for two to two fifty. But here's the craziest part about also all of that. is high. Also still high. But here's but he's talking about a hundred hundred grand MSRP. So he's talking about it. The so so they're still over two hundred grand, which is blinding. But here's what I found most fascinating: the MC twenty, a halo car from Maserati, a car nobody could get a year ago, mm -hmm. and the Lotus Evora GT, a car that's been made for a few years. Mm -hmm that is still available new on some dealer's lots and it's about to be replaced by the Amira. Here's where I bring them up because I, I looked them both up. You have about a handful of Amiras nationwide available right now. And I was scrolling for pages of the MC20. Are you kidding me? I was scrolling for pages. Where do you want to get it in the country? What color do you want? What wheels would you like? They're just out there. Which makes me think they may not have dropped a lot now, but what's the next two to five years going to do to that car? Because I don't think it's going to go back up. There's a lot of them available right now on Auto Tempest. Well, you also said the Avora GTs are going back up in price, didn't they you? They are. Find that they just are recently? bouncing a bit. They're bouncing a bit. Which is a little people weird. Can't get the, because people can't get the Amira. Oh, because the Amira is here. Right. They can't get the Amira, and, but Lotus has gotten so much press for the Amira. And the Evora GT was so good that people that are driving the Amira, us included, are referencing the Amira. In, I mean, the Evora in the process while they drive the Amira. And, and there's some all of those things, yes, you know, parts sure. there. So it's not you know fully a new car for the Amira. I expected yeah. to see like there's six Maserati MC20s available. No, no, it was like scroll, scroll, scroll. What would you like, sir? Well, I need to drive that so I can yeah, drive and enjoy and sing that Samore in uh, you know <laughs> my best Italian copycat accent. Perfect. Because I love it. I would really still like to experience that because I am wondering. I would too. This ties perfectly over on Facebook here to Craig Dieter's question asking, what is it about Jaguar, Aston Martin, and Maserati that makes them mm. so expensive new yet depreciate so quickly? Mm. We're, Craig, excellent timing here. I'm wondering about...
perception of accessibility. I, I'm those are the wrong words there. Well, reliability but, for sure. Uh, reliability is a big one, but I'm going to give Porsche as an example. Okay. It seems accessible to many people to to do different classes of racing with them. And I'm talking, you know, the inexpensive Porsches. You can still buy Porsches, old Boxsters, old Caymans, you know, the even the older transaxle models, that kind of thing. So they're they're accessible at lower prices. I'm talking fifteen to fifty thousand dollars okay. as okay. an accessible. I could I could have a Porsche. No, it's not brand new. No, it's not one mm, of the hottest mm. newest things. But I'm still in, you know, in the Porsche world. I'm still in the pool, but. Yeah, reliability is one thing, but people tend to ignore or uh, forgive the IMS bearing issue. True. Because True. there's such a community out there mm. of fixes mm. and availability for parts and and just the community around it. But it seems like, you know, on one hand, you could ask, why has Porsche become this ha hallowed thing, this holy grail of a car? What, is, what magic hath Porsche wrought? <laughs> On the other hand, you could say mm, yes. they've been accessible, and the whole reason I've always loved the brand is because even at the the mid-grade level, it was sort of like, I, I could get there. I could aspire to get that car and, and have a Porsche in my life, and you know it would be still really excellent, and mm -hmm. I, I could get there. No, now that we're talking used cars, I've got a world of options. But when it comes to Jaguar, Aston Martin, and Maserati, it seems like they have an arm's length, they're, like they're stiff-arming their customers or stiff-arming mm, mm. any future for, for buying a used car. It's like, well, you know, you're, you're kind of not in the, the right classification of person that we're looking for or something. I, Maybe. I, I don't know. Whereas Porsche, I feel like is like, yeah, come one, come all. You want used, you want cheap, you want expensive. We got you, you know, come on over. I also think that the, the impression of those brands is that they are wildly expensive initially. So I think people think they're always going to be wildly expensive. They don't realize how much they actually do come down used. Because we've talked mm -hmm. about V8 Vantages available for 35, 40 grand yeah, here. Yeah. I think people don't think they're going to come down to be accessible. That's part of it. And I also think when they do come down, if people discover that, then they look at those brand names and go, ooh, that's going to be horrifyingly unreliable, which may be. But I think Jaguar and, and Aston and Maserati all maintain this, this perception where it's just going to break. And I don't think that's a necessarily a fair perception, but it's built on history, and people are very concerned to buy them used. Yeah, I'm also wondering about the amount of variance. Because the more variants you have, the more specifically targeted at what you want to buy it for. Mm. Instead of making a bunch of different models, whereas with a, a Maserati, I mean, I want to go tracking with a Maserati. You, really don't have too many options it's just this is the car that we created for that market and it's mm. at this price point and oh by the way if you want anything fixed you're pretty much going to have to see your dealer and yeah. we all know yeah. what that means whereas that's porsche has so many independent mechanics and people that are good with it and have that's experience good. that's good and you know what i've rebuilt the engine and i've tracked this thing and i've, I've driven the you know what off this car mm -hmm. and it's still great and i've raced it and it's just they get better the harder you thrash them inexplicably yeah. and i beat the snot out of this thing and this is my race car and it's a great car and yeah stuff has to be replaced but so does any car that you push really hard whereas mm -hmm. it seems like ooh could i do that to a jag i feel like i'd be you're making a great not point. as many independent people that want to really deal with the jag the the f type mm. let's say mm. do you want to take the f type racing well is there a, a really lightweight variant that was designed more for track use that's now on sale 20 years later for no it's just a gt car and there's really just a couple of engine options mm. 
I, I just wonder if it's about just accessibility in terms of the amount of models, the variants, and also the community around that car. Mm. And of course that comes down to driving it, but that's how the companies have positioned themselves. I feel like Jaguar is happy just only going after a certain set of customers. And beyond that, it's like, nope, we don't want you. On Instagram, Charles K. Sim says, what are our favorite racing sims and how do we use them? Do we practice for a track we've never been on uh, before we get the track in real life? Do we race competitively? Uh, just curious how we use racing sims. I've actually used them for a long time. Um, I'm, I, I don't get online and compete. It's just not not in my headspace to do that that way. But I do love driving, especially in the middle of the cold, dark winter here when we can't get out <laughs> on fun roads. I love getting on the on the sim for that. I have, the ones that I've used a lot, let's see, in, the, in no specific order. Gran Turismo, I've used many, many versions. I actually like Gran Turismo 7 quite a bit. Uh, Project Cars and Assetto Corsa. I have used all of those extensively. I've never gotten into iRacing because, again, I don't do the, the online racing on it at all. Uh, I've also used some of Forza, but I don't have an Xbox, so I typically am on the PlayStation doing stuff, even though I, I think Forza is very good. But to answer your question of how do I use it, I use it just to enjoy it most of the time and to see if I can work on my own personal racecraft of can I find a more aggressive line that doesn't have consequence. That's what I like about it mm. because... I don't, a lot of the times when we're on track, you and I are on track, it's one of two things. We either drove this car from thousands of miles away and we need to drive it home, mm -hmm, yeah. which causes you to be cautious, or we're driving someone else's car. Yeah. So in both of those ca cases, you have to rein it in a bit because your car, you have to have a guarantee that the car is going to survive. Mm -hmm. So I like getting on racing sims because none of that exists and I can actually try stuff I wouldn't necessarily try in either of those other situations. I don't, I, I find it interesting to learn a track as far as which way does the next corner go. But beyond that, I don't find them very helpful for most tracks. Mm -hmm. It was it, They're really not that helpful for the ring other than just going, this corner goes left. But all your reference point that you <laughs> yeah. really use in real life are probably not in the game. But I, so I don't find it as really good practice other than kind of giving me a basic roadmap. Um, but I love the idea of just going, I'm going to try something really ridiculous here. And oh, this claims the car can actually take that line. That's fascinating. And kind of let that inform me if I might go to that track for real. Mm, that's good. I've got a bit of a mixed feeling about these, and I've tried those as well. Forza, a lot, but it also depends on the amount of money you're willing to spend on the controllers, the inputs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to extract the most, because the controllers will change the way the game is played, just the way it feels. But I will admit to getting frustrated fairly quickly because I know that car that I've chosen doesn't feel like that on track. I've, sure, I've either sure. set up, hey, I want to do that track, uh, or I, I know how that car drives. We've driven it a lot. Maybe mm. we've driven it on track. Maybe it's uh, mm -hmm. you know s something stock. I it's like a known commodity. Kind of keeping it, yeah. it like let's just ju choose GT eighty sixes or Miatas or just do yeah you know M threes or something like that. Let's just not go quite so crazy and try to keep it so we're getting something out of the game personally, you know, from a skill standpoint. But then I quickly get upset because I know that's not what that car will do. And so I'm expecting the game to mimic what I know the car can and should do in that corner and it doesn't. So I end up spinning or it because of the action in the game, I barely crest a curb and touch a blade of grass and it sends me <laughs> spinning into the far wall. Well, I, I know that's not what would actually happen. <laughs> so I get kind of frustrated. So therefore, do I have to go to a $30,000 simulator on hydraulics just to get them mm, or mm. I'd rather just be doing the real thing personally. So yeah. I, I'm very mixed on that. I, I kind of go back and forth. 
Eddie M says, when are city planners and car designers going to start communicating with each other? <laughs> bigger cars need bigger spaces and bigger roads. They do. I also have a rant and apologies in advance to any architects listening because mm. I have felt for the longest time like architects hate people and cars, actually. <laughs> you can put 45 cars in there. <laughs> no. It's going to be fine. Car enthusiasts like to be able to park, like me, and be able to open the doors, not only to just get out of the vehicle, but to kind of have a little bit of a buffer. Well, we could, you know, over 12 more rows, we could, you know, fit 13 more cars in that, you know, yeah. jam yeah, into right. this space. You're totally right. Well, that's, uh, it's frustrating because that can cause a lot of door dings and mm -hmm. people are all very cautious about their cars and want it to be protected. But I get it. You want to extract the most space you can out of a given footprint out of your, the real estate available. But as far as car designers, yeah, car designers have a very important role to play because they are the linchpin between their bosses who want to make money. This product has to sell. It's got to yeah, look good yeah. and drive well. And the engineers just want it to be, you know, good to engineer, but not a, not too much of a headache. Yeah. And could we use some other parts or that other chassis or mm -hmm. can we have a, an easier starting place? Uh, the marketing people want to claim all new special styling, true legal. The, they need something that isn't gonna They'd like to never get sued. Well, yes, I'll, I'll just leave that there. There will be no recalls. There will be none of that. Yes. And then the people who actually put them together and build all the components. Yeah. Could you just make my life easy, please? And yeah. not make it so complex and weird that it just takes a long time. And then the business planners, they just, they don't want you to cost the company extra mm -hmm. because then that cuts into profit margins. Ultimately, they have to sell products that people buy. But city planners want to direct flow of traffic. I don't care what kind of car it is. I don't care how big it is. It's this is the direction of traffic. This is how we're going to do it. We'll give the maximums or minimums for height clearances or width clearances. And if your car is too big, you've got to be paying attention. And well, that's kind of on you. You chose the wrong car. Sorry. I just read this past week that there is a discussion. We've talked about how the Hummer is a nearly 10,000-pound vehicle and is too big for some bridges, and they were worried about keeping the weight, I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence, down <clears throat> yeah. on their 9,000-pound vehicle so people didn't have to get a commercial driving license. There is a similar struggle going on right now with some variants of the upcoming Volkswagen ID Buzz and European standards because apparently if it goes over about 7,000 pounds, you need a commercial license there. <laughs> This is a new, Things new you world. Didn't see Isn't it crazy? Mike on Facebook has a fascinating question along these lines. He says, at what point do you stop trying to out minivan a minivan and just buy the minivan? <laughs> so, Mike, I'm going to try to give you some parameters here. It's going to be very personal because I don't know how many kids and dogs and bikes and stuff you have. But if, if you find yourself regularly saying, well, we might be able to make that SUV work. If we pack well, we can probably fit in this model SUV. Just get the minivan. If you're at the seams of the car you want and it's all three row, seven seat SUVs and you can't quite make it work, minivan. <laughs> we'll leave it there for now. There's more questions than we can get to for this podcast. We really appreciate you asking. Write to us on Mondays and Thursdays for all your Topic Tuesdays, car debates and car conclusions so we can cover that. Oh, and, and remember, media questions too. hang on. Thank you. The, just now dawned on me as we're talking about you guys reaching out. Talk about questions. One week 
from now. Next Monday is an all you, yes. live podcast. That is 825 number podcast. That I can't believe it's that many episodes, but we will be live on our test drive videos channel. It will be a live podcast Monday night. And that is coming up in about a week. And that will be all car questions from you guys in real time that evening. We will be giving lots more information, but that's only a week away. Awesome. Looking forward to it, guys. Thank you for your questions. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>